Hello, this is Jay Scott, and you are listening to The Hook, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone's having a great day. I'd like to welcome in from Erico, from Chicago, Illinois, my hometown. I'd like to welcome in Ace, the lead vocalist, co-lead guitar player, into our new music spotlight. How are you doing today, Ace? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you doing this. This is great. I, uh, you know, We kind of spoke briefly before we started. Uh, saw you guys with Diamond Head about uh, a year and a half ago. It was an amazing show. I took my son with me, who I think was 12 or 13 at the time. He follows you guys on Instagram. He's a huge fan himself. Cool. Gr- great live band. Great. Uh, just You guys just blew me away. Thanks, man. That was Like I said, that was a fun show. It was a good time. Really good crowd. Diamond Head, just a really fun band. Um, to listen to, you know, to listen to those guys was just surreal. I remember growing up listening to old VPs and uh, or, or yeah, old uh, vinyls and EVs, and you know, getting to play with Diamond Head was a pleasure. And then you know, the audience on top of it, great audience, great crowd, really responsive, it was a really good time. Yeah, it definitely was. Well, as we begin the show, every time we have a new guest for the first time, we always start with the first question, and that really is what the show is about. And just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, a performance, that hooked them on rock and roll. What hooked you, Ace? Uh, You know, it kind of came in... Uh, kind of came in stages for me. I grew up listening, like I said, all LPs, vinyl, but my dad always played blues guys, so I grew up listening. You know, we're from Chicago, man, so I always grew up kind of listening to Buddy Guy, uh, Stuart Stone, Howlin' Wolf, B. King, Steve Ray Vaughan. Um, I know some of those guys are Chicago, some of them aren't, but uh, I grew up listening to the blues, and that's kind of what my dad got me into. My dad wasn't a metal guy at all wasn't a hard rock guy at all so for a pretty long time um i would listen to you know muddy waters and you know just kind of johnny lee hooker you know everything that was coming out of chicago uh way back when and that's what i grew up listening to and my horizon really wasn't expanded to metal or hard rock as of yet um it wasn't until I think it was an old Cadillac commercial that had Crazy Train on it. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember listening to that lick when I was really young, probably like six or seven years old, going, man, what the, the hell is that? That's awesome. And my uncle was like, oh, that, that's Crazy Train. My uncle was more the uh, the hard rock guy, and uh, he said, oh, that's Crazy Train. And, uh, you know, I just I look back. It was the beginning of the hard rock phase. And then um, it turned into metal through... Of, of course, Metallica. I heard the, the, the hook, you know, off to Never Neverland on the radio. I went to my guitar teacher and I was like, yo, this track is insane. I want to learn it. What is he doing? How is he playing this? So it kind of came in stages. It was blues first. Um, I think the, the one song I can remember from being really long, like really young, like four or five years old, was Got My Mojo Working by Muddy Waters. That was the big one. And then Crazy Train was like the next evolution, Randy Rose. And then the next evolution, getting even getting even heavier, uh, was Metallica. You know, it's funny how you mentioned Chicago and the blues. I think when you grow up in Chicago or the suburbs of Chicago, you are exposed to it, whether you like it or not. Because blues, especially back, you know, years ago, it was just a huge element in the scene here in Chicago. Um, my big introduction to the blues was the Blues Brothers. You know, that movie was released in yeah. like 79 or 80, and I think I was probably like seven or eight years old when I watched it with my dad. And I remember I never really heard the blues that much or was aware of it, I should say, until that movie. And then I started hearing my relatives playing it at parties, and I got more into it, and I was a really big Magic Sam fan and Otis Rush, you know, two guys from Chicago. But it always becomes a part of you, especially in this town, because it is so prevalent. It is it is so influential, and you really can't get away with it, whether you want to or not. It's just going to be there all the time. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of embedded everywhere you go here. It's a pretty big part of our, 
you know, Chicago history because there's so many prominent musicians that have come out of here that are that are in the blues genre. But you know, even when you're playing, even when you're playing metal or, or hard rock, it's it, even then it's hard to you know uh, to deny the blues roots. A lot of the scales that you play, a lot of things that are involved with the composition of various styles of music are all related to. You know, you can you can trace most of those back, if not all of them, to the blues, the scales that you use, the way you compose, the way you know that you play blues. Uh, you know, blues riffs and one four five. You build on the five when you, you know, when you're trying to make a build. You know, a lot of music still does that till its very day. A lot of pop music, R and B music, rock, hard rock, heavy metal. This really doesn't matter. So. Um, you know, I, I know there's various forms of blues all around the United States, but um, of course, Chicago is going to be the one that hits home the most for me because this is, you know, this is where I'm from. Yeah, my son is playing guitar, and I always tell him whenever we're riding around and driving somewhere, and I got my music playing, and I'm playing maybe some old school metal or whatever it is. I go, I go, slow that down. I go, if you slow that down, that's a blues song. He's like, what do you mean? I go, listen to the riff. It's sped up. It's heavier. Yeah, it's got that metal, you know, you know, vibe to it. But if you slow it down and just make it bare bones, with you talked about with the scales, it's a blues song, basically. And he's like, yeah, yeah. he's like, he's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm like, I'm like, listen to you got another thing coming by Judas Priest. He's like, slow that riff down in between his vocals. That riff that that is in between. That basically that's a blues song. If you slow it down and you, and, you, and you strip away all the you know, the, the effects of the guitar and everything on it. So you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the blues, you mentioned some, you know, old school stuff like crazy train and Metallica. Who was it? Was it a song? Was it a band that made you want to pick up a guitar? Um, okay. Well, I guess I skipped an evolution in that case. That that's an easy one. So that would be uh highway to hell heard Highway to Hell on the radio for the first time I can remember when I was probably like five or six years old I went to my dad and I said hey do you know the band Highway to Hell and he goes well no that's not the band um, that's the song the band is ACDC and I said okay well you know can we can I see them can you like get like a VHS tape or can we like go to go to the store and you know the, the local video store and can we can we uh we grab a VHS. I want to see what they look like. And, you know, we grabbed it and, you know, I, I went and I, I like grabbed the broomstick when I was like six years old and I started head banging like Angus Young and, you know, jumping around the room and I said, Hey dad, I think I found something I love to do. And he thought it was a phase. He was like, all right, whatever, you know? So about two years me head banging with this damn broom, my dad was like, okay, maybe it's not a phase. You've been doing this for a while. Um, let's go grab you a guitar. So, uh, by the time I got my first guitar, you know, the, everything started kind of moving in a in a, a rock direction. I started kind of moving. I don't want to say away from the blues because all the bands that I went to are all blues. Uh, have a foundation in blues like ACDC. When, by the time I got my first guitar, I was really into Aerosmith. Loved Joe Perry. Loved Steven Tyler. Brad, which I love those guys. Um, so kind of going back to, to answering your questions there, I was kind of long-witted there for a minute. But, yeah, I would help. UCDC, Angus Young. Was there a band or performer that made you want to perform live? My dad was a musician when he was younger, and I think that we've always kind of had that handbone sort of lineage in our system. My, my grandfather was a pretty, you know, he was a showman. My dad was a showman. I was always kind of a, a you know, a comedic guy in, in class in school I, I always kind of I don't want to say dominated conversation but I always I'd always been a confident guy and it's not to say that I'm a great front man I like to think that I do a pretty good job but at the same time there's common similarities that you'll find with all really great front men it's the fact that they have a commanding uh, stage presence um, whether they were shy off stage or they had that same sort of vibe off stage really on stage is when they really dialed in or, or they, they zoned in. So, no, it, it, it's always been pretty, you know, I've always wanted to perform. I've always itched uh, to be on stage, but someone that I, I truly, 
truly idolized and who kind of sets a bar that is so freaking high, you can only hope to attain 25% of what he was is Freddie Mercury. That's always been kind of, you know, the, the gold standard of, uh, of a front man. I look at that and I'm like, like I said, hell, if I could be a, a molecular piece of, uh, as good as, as that guy was performing live, I would feel like I've, you know, I feel like I've done something with my life. Yeah, no, you bring up a great point. You know, that was the era of the front man. I mean, you think of Freddie Mercury, you think of David Lee Roth, you know, who came a little later than, than Freddie did, but, you know, kind of, they kind of merged eras together at some point. You know, I remember when you, you know, well, you mentioned about getting a VHS and you wanted to see what this band looked like. When I was younger, I remember hearing Van Halen 1, and the only image I have had of them was the back cover of the record until I saw the yeah. U.S. Festival in 1983 on television, on cable. And, you know, seeing Dave Lee Roth up there, seeing Eddie Van Halen, seeing the bands that were performing before them, such as Scorpions and Ozzy Osbourne and, you know, Quiet Riot, Judas Priest, a few others, it was electrifying. It, it grabbed your attention. They were the commanding presence that you talked about. You know, all those guys had the crowd, no matter if it was 50 people or 200,000 people, they held everybody in the palm of their hand. They had the control. It's, um, you know, you mentioned an interesting band there. Uh, Van Halen. So David Lee Roth is definitely one of my favorite singers. Um, but I'm kind of biased there because me and him have the same birthday, actually. So okay. it's a pleasure to share the birthday with Diamond Days if you ever listen to this. But um, love David Lee Roth. Love Van Halen. Those were just guys that were, you know, they were unapologetic. They commanded your attention. It was very difficult to not pay attention. It just, it doesn't seem to be, I don't want to say it doesn't seem to be as common. It just seems to be harder to find now in today's musical climate. It's not as, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's more difficult to find. Maybe, maybe because it's a noisy market, maybe because there's so many bands out there, maybe because there's so much stuff out there and there's been such a hyperinflation of, of music and bands. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a good thing, but um, it's just refreshing when you get to see, uh, when you get to see a guy like uh, Raz from Diamond Head. He's a great example. He's a great freaking singer. He's a great guy. Um, but to see a front man like that, um, now in this climate, in the new generation of musicians, um, it's just, it's an interesting time and place. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, that's a conversation I've had with many about the front man of today. You know, I grew up in that era of front man, you know, where everybody who was in a band and everybody that was on MTV had that face of the band that you undeniably knew that was the singer. That was, you know, whether whether what was going on behind the stage or backstage or what their business was, the singer was out front and center. It created such a uh, an entertainment type of thing. You know, like it wasn't just guys up there playing. It was guys up there playing and this guy jumping around, you know, catering to the crowd, getting the crowd pumped up and motivated and screaming and yelling back and everything. And it was just like, wow, you know? Yeah, they were, they were the... You know, I almost compare him to wrestlers. I'm a bit of a wrestling fan. You know, it's like you got guys like Macho Man. You know, you got Ron, you got Randy Savage. You know, yeah. uh, you you got that were just um, you know they're you just you can't deny it. There's an aura about them. You know, they're there to entertain. You know, they're there to to just kind of metaphorically punch you right in the face with so much charisma, so much personality. It's almost like a the stimulation overload and it's like I think it was Lemmy who said it that you know people don't go to a show to see their neighbor they're going to a show to see a freaking alien man they're going to a show to see you know something that they can't see every day right like you show up you get your t-shirt you get your shorts on you know you're just kind of like alright you know this next song is called you know we're awesome you're kind of like okay whatever I could watch this shit at home you know well, that's, when they go they want to see something entertaining, you know what I mean? Well, that's funny you mentioned that. I took my son to another show. I'm not, I don't want to mention the guy or the band. Uh, that's not you know what the what the purpose is. But my son asked me about 
one of the bands that played on the bill afterwards. He's like, oh, what did you think of so-and-so? And And I said, oh, you know, the singer was good, but he looked like he just came from a barbecue. He's like, what do you mean? I said, it just, it wasn't anything special. It was just kind of like showed up, hat on backwards, you know, shorts, jean shorts and and, and, uh, boots and a flannel t-shirt or a t-shirt. And that was it. I'm like, he looked like, you know, someone that was just, just eating barbecue chicken about an hour ago. So, you know, and he, he, I don't think he, I don't think he understood that. And then when I took him to see Iron Maiden, Bruce Dickinson was out there. I'm like, that's how it's done. That's how it's done right there. Yeah. Bruce Dickinson is another just freaking insane example of a great front man. That whole band really is, is incredible, but I think of it as, you know, I'm naturally a, a pretty outgoing guy. So when I'm out, out when I'm on stage, it doesn't feel like it's out of place. I've been doing it long enough where I don't really, you know, any musician will tell you this. You're always going to have some form of nerves, but when you've been doing it long enough, it's just, it's another day at the office, man. You're there to have a good time. You're there to, to create good vibes, good energy. Um, but you know, I, 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 you, you didn't tell me if I can, but am I able to swear? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> where where the fuck have the guitar heroes gone, man? Where the fuck have the front man gone? Where the fuck has the, the personality in the character fucking gone? It's like, to me, it's like it's not cool to do a guitar solo anymore. It's like it's not cool to have an impressive range anymore. It's not cool to go out of your way to, to do the craziest shit to make people feel entertained. Like the minute you do something theoretically inclined, it's just odd, you know? And there, and there's so many bands out. It's not to take away from bands that are theoretically inclined and that are soloing. It just, it doesn't seem to be like, you know, it just doesn't seem to be like the highlight. You know, I remember when, when I was growing up, me and other guitar players in the neighborhood, we would compete, man. We'd be like, man, I learned the solo to, Fade to Black. Oh, yeah, I learned the solo to this Dream Theater song. Oh, yeah, I learned the solo to this Iron Maiden song. We didn't We didn't sit there. Nobody in my neighborhood bragged about the fucking rhythms they wrote. Nobody. None of us did. We all went, and it was about how fast and fucking mean and how just speedy and ready you were and how, how crazy you could get your guitar to sound. And it just doesn't really seem to, to be that way. And it's not to, it's not to discredit what's going on. It's not to credit what's going on. Um, it's just more or less like, I want to be the guy that knows my fucking instrument. I want to be the guy that really knows what the hell I'm doing and, and can play, you know, a, a wide variety of things that you throw my way. But I also want to be the guy that can be a great front man, write great music that's relatable and just and write great songs. But it's just, I don't know. We've moved in a weird direction, man. I don't know if you're in agreement there, but we've moved in an interesting direction. I am in an agreement. I think, you know, the period after the, you know, the, the millennium uh, change, what was it Y2K as, as they call it? I think that decade yeah. after that was a kind of a lost period in rock and roll. You know, you had a lot of like these college bands, college party bands kind of, kind of come up and a lot of them were cookie cutter and they, you know, they didn't really distinguish. There was not a lot of new hard rock. There were a few bands, but I think over the last decade, and I think especially over the last five years, I think it is starting to come back. I do agree with what you're saying. I mean, you know, where are the days, you know, when I grew up, I mean, I grew up in the era of Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes and George Lynch and, you know, all the shredders yeah. that were on shrapnel records like Tony McAlpine and Jason Becker and Richie Kotzen and Marty Friedman, all these guys, yeah. you know, Paul Gilbert, Red Beach, the, all these guys were players. I don't see a lot of those guys, but I think it's coming back. I think, you know, in terms of guitar, I've seen last, in the last year, Tyler Bryant twice. M- amazing guitar player. Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown is an amazing band, amazing guitar player who will jam. And I think the other guitar player on, in that band is Brad Whitford from Aerosmith's son, who's in, who's, uh, does oh, wow. some of the leads too. And he's great. I think, you know, the guy from the Struts, Luke Spiller, is, I've seen him live. I looked at my friend, I'm like, that's old school frontman right there. I mean, that is, I mean, whether you like him or not, if you get a chance to see him, that's old school frontman type deal right there. That's, uh, it, but that, and, you know, that's the thing, though. You know, a guy like Spiller, and I know you're talking, I've, I've had a chance to see the Struts live, too. And regardless of what my opinion is, you're going to leave with an opinion. Right. That's the point. That's 
the point. It's the willingness to be loved, but at the same time, the willingness to be aided as well. Exactly. And maybe there's a lot of people that fear that. They, they just want to focus on that low-hanging fruit of being loved by a community where they know they're going to be loved by, as opposed to um, being an individual who you're, you're going to love or you're going to hate them. There's no way you can walk away from going to a strut show and saying, eh, you know, I thought the singer was, he's okay. You're either going to go, oh, dude, I think he's a total copycat. I think he's this. I think he's that. I think he's this. I think, he's... Or you're going to go, dude, I think he's one of the greatest front men that's around right now. It really doesn't matter. You're going to have an opinion of the guy, and that's the point. Mm-hmm. The point is that they have the name circulating. You're chatting about him. You're talking about him, and you're creating that dialogue. It really doesn't matter what the, uh, what, what the opinion is. There's no doubt. There's a great voice there. I saw him with the Foo Fighters when they did. They brought him up for the um, Under Pressure uh, duet where, uh, what the hell is her name? Dave Grohl? Taylor, Haw- Taylor Hawkins. Oh, t- yeah, Taylor, Taylor Hawkins. Hawkins, yes, yes. Taylor Hawkins did the singing, and then they brought uh, Taylor up to, to do the singing from uh, from the struts. And it was great. It was great. You, you know, you could sit there and you could go, hey, man, you know, this guy is this and that and this and that. But that's the point. You're talking about that this guy is this and that. And... I think that's one of the components of being a great frontman, not giving a shit if people love you or hate you, just being genuine, being true, and just saying, hey, I'm going to be unapologetically me, and I'm going to find the people that love me, and I'm going to focus on that. You're absolutely right. One of the conversations I've had with a few people once I've started doing this is how rock bands almost seem afraid to push the boundaries afraid to be controversial, afraid to be themselves. Like you said, there's a lot of great new bands out there that are coming, but there's also some bands too that are very cookie cutter and are very like afraid to take chances, afraid to sound different, afraid to do something different. I can tell you just, you know, with the experience I've had in the last few years and seen a lot of newer bands, I think there is a wave coming of that mentality you know, um, I mentioned Tyler Bryant. I think you guys fit that bill, too. I think bands like Joyous Wolf, who's got a great sound and a great vibe to them. Um, there's so many others out there, too, that just do an awesome, wonderful job. You know, I saw Sebastian Bach a couple weeks ago, uh, who was playing local here in the Chicago area. You know, he's 50-something years old, still sounded incredible, but still had that presence, man. You know, still had that, your eyes, you can't take your eyes off of him. Well, I'm hard not to pay attention to. He's got a voice that's just un- unprecedented. But yeah, I mean, Joyce Wolf, great. We're we're kind of semi family with those guys. We've got some of the same people that work in our camp work work for the Joyce Wolf camp as well. Um, you got other bands like Blacktop Mojo that are just ri- ridiculously talented guys. Great band. Um, great freaking band. You, got, you know, Matt James has a voice that you just can't mistake in for anybody. But you know. The only way anything cool gets created is, is by pushing the boundaries. You know, when, when, when Metallica came out, Megadeth came out, Anthrax, Testament, when those guys were coming out, you know, that, that was a new scene. They were creating their own scene. They were creating their own thing that was going on. Um, you know, that's why they left L.A., because L.A. had its own thing going on. They had hair metal. They had Poison and Molly Crew and... They had the Van Halen. They had all that stuff. They had a lead. They said, hey, let, we're going to push the envelope, but this isn't the, the environment to do it. We're going to go up to San Francisco. We're going to have Cliff Burton join this thing, and we're going to make our own shit happen. And they created their, their own thing. Um, you know, I forgot who said it. I think, I think Corey Taylor said it. He said the music industry tends to reinvent itself about once every 15, 20 years or so. And I, I can't agree with that statement more. Because you had hair metal, and then you had grunge, and then you had new metal, although I don't really like calling it that, but you had bands like Avenged Sevenfold, you had bands like Korn, uh, you had bands like Disturbed that, that came out, and now, those were the early 2000s, System of a Down was another one, but now you have it about 15 years later, where now there's this new, there, there's something new going on, and I can feel it. The music, is, the music industry has been in an interesting spot. Um, but it's getting in a very interesting spot in regards to new talent and new people that are rising up. So it's interesting to be, I don't want to say in the mix of that with Erico, because 
you know, I, I don't want to, <laughs> I, I don't want to come off as, uh, you know, a, a narcissistic prick, but it's nice to be in that, in the middle, it's nice to be in the middle of that, at least in regards to touring with some of these bands and performing with some of these artists and getting to, to witness firsthand the pleasure that Erico has to share the stage with some fucking awesome young talent, man. It, it is really awesome for us to, to witness not only as, as fans, as, as concert goers, uh, but also as musicians themselves and, and getting to share the stage with some of these other bands. I agree 100%, man. And, and you can definitely include yourself in that conversation. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you. Final question on, you know, your influences. I've read a lot of different interviews over the years, and one of the things that's always struck me is how artists will say, I heard this song, and I wanted to write music after I heard it. It made me think about arranging music and, 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 and writing lyrics. Was there someone for you that influenced you to do that? Um, to write lyrics or just write music in general? To write music, to write songs. Um, that's a good question. You know, I, I don't really know. I don't, I don't think it was a, a musical influence per se. I just think it's a life influence. I think that um, a good song is defined by conveying a particular emotion and uh, a song is an emotional journal. So if somebody opens up that song and they feel what you were feeling at the time or, or they get some sort of glimpse at the emotion that you're trying to convey, then that's what defines a really good song to me. It doesn't matter if it's pop. It doesn't matter if it's rap or R&B or, or whatever the case may be. I'm not, you know, I don't discriminate based on genre. I really don't care. I'll listen to everything. If you look at my playlist, I am, I have so many guilty freaking pleasures in my playlist it's not even funny because it's just a good song at the end of the day you can't deny what is a good song um i've always taken inspiration from everything whether it be music whether it be poetry huge movie guy i I do some acting here and work with some actors in chicago to do some acting as well so i've always been a huge movie guy um poetry uh music just life in general the experiences, the hassle of having to go to a, a fucking nine to five and, and answer to some guy and, you know, just the, the anger that builds up and all that shit just contributes to the musical factor. In fact, most of the songs that I've written, in fact, most of the best songs I feel as though I've written are songs where I didn't even have a guitar in front of me. I didn't even have a musical instrument in front of me. They were just melodies in my head that were inspired on the cusp of just fucking living life just being a person experiencing something and going that pisses me off and I got a melody in my head for it or that makes me sad and cry and I got something for that or this makes me ridiculously happy or this makes me curious or inquisitive and these melodies pop up so it's just you know I take inspiration from a lot of bands a lot of singers a lot of guitar players a lot of genres a lot of producers a lot of different people that uh, do a lot of different stuff and it ain't necessarily proprietary music it's just proprietary just being a human and, and living life man I know it's a very hippie answer but it's about as true as I, <laughs> it's about as true as I can get on that one no man great answer no that that was that's uh, you know some people are inspired by a song some people are just have the creative you know juices in their belly and, and just have need an outlet you know for what they're experiencing yeah so let's dive into Erico. 2015, All or Nothing, 2017, Baptized by Fire. How and what is the history of Erico? Um, man, this, this thing goes way back. So I used to play in a band with my dad when I was a teenager, which at the time was one of the most miserable experiences of my life because it was with my dad. He liked music that just wasn't cool to me. I'm sitting there learning I Know a Little from Leonard Skinner and shit like that and, and Stevie Ray Vaughan songs and The Door songs, just music that I really wasn't into. Now that my musical palette has aged, you know, I can appreciate that stuff. I love it because it helped cultivate what kind of guitar player I am today and knowing how talented and what great songwriters those were. But when I was playing with my dad, we were auditioning drummers and uh, Misfit came in to audition. Um, he was like a deer in headlights, man. He's 
I think he's a year or two younger than me, so he must have been like 14, 15 years old, came into audition. Um, at that point, I think he just started, so he just wasn't really there, I guess. Um, and he disappeared off the face of the earth. I think my dad made him join, like, missed the point of witness protection program after he met my dad, because my dad is the most intense Vietnam war veteran you'd ever met. He meets this 13, 14-year-old kid, and he's like, how you doing? You know, he's fucking stupid and you're super in your face, super intimidating. And uh, Misfit in reality is a pretty, la- he's a pretty laid back guy. He's really not into all the, the confrontational personality type stuff. So he basically joined the witness protection program for about, <laughs> I want to say probably about nine years, but I've never heard from him. And so finally, um, when I, when I got out of school, you know, I started working in finance. I stopped playing music for a while because I was tired of dealing with musicians. I was tired of dealing with bandmates. I was just tired of dealing with people that weren't as serious as I was. And I kind of turned my back on it. I said, you know what, fuck it. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to sell out to nine to five and sell my soul to the devil and make some money. And, um, you know, a couple of years of denying who you are as a musician will lead to some pretty severe depression and anxiety and, you know, you feel like you turn your back on something that was important to you. So I said, you know what, I'm going to get back into this thing. I'm going to start a band again. So um, right when I did that, I was looking for a drummer. Uh, Misfit reached out to me and said, hey, I'm looking for a guitar player for my band. And I said, well, that's interesting because I'm looking for a drummer for my band. And he said, I'll make you a deal. I'll come audition for you if you come audition for me. And I said, all right, deal. So he came by, he auditioned for me. It, it, it was not a good audition, not not on his behalf. He auditioned very well, but there were just numerous logistical things that were not working out that day. Um, and then after that audition, he said, all right, I'll see you tomorrow because you're going to come audition for me. And I was just kind of like, ah, oh, shit, all right. <laughs> I had no intentions of going and auditioning. I was just hoping he would, would want to join my band. So I held my end of the bargain, though. I went to the audition. I get there, uh, and... Uh, Spidey comes out and you know Spidey's a pretty bulky dude uh, looks very much like dime, he, he's got a very much like a dime bag Daryl sort of look and he pulls out uh, a raised guy a, di- a diamond head guitar he pulls out a raised back and remember thinking to myself and we're going oh god please do not let this be like a terrible dime bag beginner kid. and there's nothing wrong with that I'm not taking a shit on people who are just starting I was just so afraid that he just wasn't going to be able to play. He's got this expensive, really expensive, really badass guitar. He's really quiet. And I'm like, oh, man, I hope, like, you know, I just didn't fucking drive an hour down to the south side to, to waste my time. And I learned my lesson, man. I never prejudged the book by its cover since that day because he got on my guitar and he just started shredding. And I was like, dude, stop. Hang on. You guys have a singer for the band. And they said, no, we were hoping after we got you for guitar, we could actually, we hope you would knew, you'd know some singers. And I said, all right, we don't have a singer. Do you have a microphone? I said, yes, yeah. so I set up a microphone. I started singing. Um, we were drinking the whole time, fucked up and drunk. And finally they sat me down after this audition and they said, so what do you think, man? Do you want to join the band? And I said, you guys actually want me to join the band? And they said, yeah. I go, God, you guys have the bar set low. I'm fucking wasted. I don't even know if I played anything right. And they were like, no, nah, man, you'd be great. You sound great. We were hoping that you'd want to sing for us, too. And I was just, I was so impressed by just how, like, they weren't tainted. You know what I mean? They hadn't dealt with enough of shithead at that point to be angry or to be mad. Like, it was just genuine heartfelt love for music it wasn't tainted it wasn't tarnished and i missed that like i was i know i'm talking like i was this seasoned war horse but i had been through enough bands at that point where i was just so i was tainted man i had a weird understanding of what a band was and to come across these guys that were just so fresh and wanted to play so bad and just wanted to write music and and just play and tour and I, I fucking missed that. And I just said, you know what? Whatever project I'm working on, I'm going to turn my back on. 
I'm going to disband those guys. I'm going to tell them, yeah, listen, man, thanks for wanting to do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to fully commit to these guys down on the South side because I think we got some magic happening. So it was me, uh, Misfit and Spivey and a uh, bass player at the time who were still very good, great friends. But he actually does all the design work for our website photos. Um, but we went through a couple bass player lineup changes. Finally settled on Beast, who is a godsend of a bass player. And two albums later, two singles later, a couple of, you know, national tours under our belt. Um, here we are, man. That was back in, that, that started back in 2013. Um, and, you know, six, seven years later, here we are. That's an awesome story, man. That's really cool. How, when I hear you guys play, I hear a lot of different things. I hear a very modern sound, but I hear influences of like Halloween and Accept. I hear like Tigers of Pantang and Metal Church and Armored Saint. Of course, Diamond Head that we mentioned. Um, uh-huh. I hear a little bit of Dokken too as well. How, yeah. I mean, is that all, I mean, all you guys, I mean, how is that all that, how, how do all those influences come out? I mean, where does all that come from? Um, so I think each of us have pretty different, uh, backgrounds that are pretty, uh, polarizing in regards to how we became musicians and how we studied and how we formally approached our instruments. Um, I went to school for it. I took lessons for it. So I'm, I'm more of the, uh, theoretical guy where I understand, you know, how to, how to compose a song. And I, I mean that with the, the, utmost humility i'm still perfecting my craft but learning from a theoretical perspective on how to orchestrate and piece together a song what's going to make a good verse what'll make a good chorus how do we build the momentum here how do we have how do we lay out a a decent solo um whereas uh fighty knows everything by happy notes and sad notes he doesn't understand major minor or doesn't get any of that shit he is just trained strictly by ear and from me being kind of, kind of on the theory side, I actually envy him in a way because the theory doesn't inhibit his process. It doesn't hold him back. There's times he kind of tosses a hodgepodge of, of shit my way and says, hey, I think this is a song. Let me know what you think. And I go, dude, this is the wackiest. This, this makes no sense, but somehow it sounds good. So we'll kind of mix our version of, you know, someone who's, had lessons and someone who studied it and has gone to school for it and someone who has no theoretical understanding but just knows how to write great freaking metal and great rock um, and the ability to combine that. Our influences are completely different. That's a guy who can go from Cannibal Corpse to Dying Fetus to Slayer to Testament to just heavy stuff. And that's not my go-to. I've always been more of you know, the 80s guy. I've always been more, you know, the, the Randy Rose, the Van Halen, um, the ACDC. I'm going to admit it. I freaking love Def Leppard. Um, you know, I, I've been always more of that. So it's, it's this interesting combination of me liking, well, not liking, me loving the 80s and kind of bringing an old school way of writing to Erico and bringing that theoretical side in him loving newer modern music and bringing that to the table with a completely just unhinged way of writing with no boundaries and no rules and, you know, fuck this key change, screw this relative major shit, let's write this, let's do this, let's do this. And it's just, it creates a mixture where you recognize the, the old school 80s influences, like you mentioned, Dokken and Halloween and, uh, uh, Armored Saint and the newer stuff with the production, the way that we, you know, we finalize our songs and things like that. So it's just, it, it's an interesting melting pot, I think. Well, you talked about it. I mean, so is this part of the creative process? I mean, how do you guys build a song? How do you guys build material? Does everybody come in with different ideas and you can either, either you know, stick with that main idea or does one person add one thing and so on and so forth? We throw some shit at the wall, man. <laughs> and we see what sticks. I think we, I'm kidding, but partially not. I think it, everything is riff based. 
to us. It all starts with the guitars because it's a very guitar heavy band. Um, both of us can, you know, we can hold our weight, I think, pretty well when it comes to soloing, when it comes to playing, when it comes to just performing at a, at a very high high standard. I think we both carry our weight pretty well. So um, it always starts with a, with a good guitar riff. You got to have a good, chunky, beefy riff. Um, and we're, we're always very fascinated with melody. I think we tend to stick with melody a lot. So it's very melodic writing on the guitar side. Um, so it's always just kind of like saying, hey, man, I got this cool riff. What do you think of it? And then we'll, we'll start messing with this little diddly of a riff. He'll kind of harmonize it and be like, all right, cool. What do you think of this harmony? He's definitely the harmony guy when it comes to guitar. Um, what do you think of this harmony? So we'll kind of move the notes around a little bit, kind of critique the, the melody. And then once we got that down, Misfit and Beast are definitely the percussive side. So they're, they're looking at, you know, how do we accent this? How do we, how do we complement this from a, a rhythmic and a percussive point of view? And then once that's done, once that is done, uh, the lyrics that I write are very kind of, um, they're very acapella. I'll, I'll play it. I'll, I'll record the riffs on my phone. I'll listen to them. And then I'll just kind of spewing out shit out of my mouth, lines, words, whatever is kind of coming to my, my mind and my heart at the minute, whatever the music is speaking to me. And that's actually exactly how the song Lullaby happened. Um, Lullaby is a staple to the fact we have to play it every time, especially here in Chicago. It's a great song. Lullaby. I appreciate that. Um, that song is about our guitar player's mother who passed away when he was a teenager uh, about 10 years ago or so. And he, he brought me this riff and he said, Hey man, I don't really have a lot of material right now, but I have this one song. It means a lot to me. Um, I don't have a name for it. I don't have anything. I don't know what the verses, the chord. I don't know shit, but all I know is this is a song and I want to, I want to use this. And I said, okay, we'll send it to me. So he sent it to me and I said, Hey man, well, what's the name of it? And he said, I don't really have anything for it. I go, dude, you got to have it saved in your phone as something. You, 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 there's got to be something. He goes, all right, well, I always called it Lullaby. And I said, okay. And he said, but you don't need to keep the name of that song. You know, we don't need to. You could just, you could name it whatever you want. So I'm listening to the, the chorus and the verse part. And I go, okay, this is the verse. This is going to be my chorus. And immediately when the guitar player started playing, acapella just started kind of going through the words in my head where it said, I've come to realize life is not just organized in time. It has a deeper meaning. Mother, you've taught me something. And fucking immediately, I'm like, I know this is going to be about my guitar player's mother. And then it came to the chorus where it said, Mother, please don't make me cry. I don't know how to say goodbye. Because even though I'm a man, I still need your lullaby. And like, dude, I just, I would have never guessed you would have kept the name. I would have never guessed that this was the direction the song was going. And I said, hey, man, you gave me that name. It, it said that little nanosecond of, of creative juice in my mind to point me in the right direction. I listened to it. This is what I set off of it. And honestly, that's kind of the process and the method that happens with, with a majority of Erico's songs. A very interesting way of, of, of processing a song and developing a song. Uh, it, it's interesting because none of us, um, we're, we're kind of a motherless band. <laughs> We've, uh, um, uh, same thing with uh, my deepest mother, unfortunately, you know, passed away. God rest her soul, too. Bassist, uh, same thing with our guitar player. My, guitar, my drummer's parents divorced. He was raised by his dad. My parents divorced, raised by my dad. So we all come from father, you know, uh, uh, households where we all had good dads who stayed in our lives. You know, they had their issues going on, but they all stayed in our lives and they all introduced us to metal. They introduced us to music and rock. And that, that was the parent. That was the other parent. So um, it was, it, it, it almost wasn't like a single family household. It was almost like there was a couple. It's just the other couple wasn't the mom. It was the music that, that helped raise us, you know. No, that's an interesting bond and connection that you guys all have. You know, I mean, that's something that is very unique, I could imagine, but also kind of a special thing, too, as well. It kind of connects all of you guys, you know, on your journey with rock and roll. It does. So All or Nothing 2015, Baptized by Fire 2017, Dark Star Records is who you guys are hooked up with. 
How did that come about? Uh, you know, I, I'm always kind of busting down doors and booting in doors and breaking down walls, trying to, you know, meet new people and network. And uh, we've had the pleasure of working with a very talented Drake Mephesta. Um, if you like interesting music projects, I highly recommend all your listeners to check out Diamorte. Very interesting. Uh, Drake Mephesta, very interesting guy, very interesting show, very talented artist, though. Uh, he's done... Uh, he's done album cover artwork for some massive bands, and he's a dear friend of ours. Uh, he actually did the artwork for Baptized by Fire. And as we were recording that, um, I started to kind of get wind of the fact that he knew some people. He had some musical connections, so I called him one day, and I'm like, hey, man, you know, who do you know that might be able to give us a hand up? Who do you know that might be able to believe in, in what we're doing? Because um, we've always felt like the underdogs, you know, that the industry wants, uh, well, I think the industry doesn't know what they want, but the industry wants what, what's hot now. You know, they want to work with people that, that's hot now. So for a band like us that has, you know, that 80s sound with a little bit of modern mixed in, we've always felt like we've fought an uphill battle to be like, yo, this, this is good shit. People who listen to this genuinely enjoy it and they like it. Uh, so I was talking to Drake, and I said, "Hey man, who do you feel as though might be? Who do you know that might feel as though the same man we do? Who do you know that might be just as excited as we are to jam uh, with our music?" And he said, "You know, I know some guys over at uh, Sony Darkstar Records who uh, might dig your stuff. Let's chat." So we had some conversations with Darkstar. Um, they really wound up loving it, and uh, yeah, we signed a deal with them. Hey, you know, if you got the connections and. You're in a position where you want to move forward. You got to use them. You know, I mean, that's what uh, that's what it's all about. I mean, there's so many artists over the years that maybe didn't have the connection that they need. Were never able to get the exposure that they probably deserved. So it's not, uh, you know, it's never a bad thing to utilize that stuff. Never, no. And and my feedback is that anybody who's listening right now, if they're going to listen to any segment. If they're going to even listen to a portion of this segment, this would be the portion that I'd want them to listen to right here. If they're going to click through this stream and go, ah, what's interesting? If you catch this, make your own fucking connection. Make you, do your work. Go out. Put the work in. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as chance. It just forget all about that shit, man. Go out. Work. Play. Bust your ass in good shit is bound to happen. There's no way. I've been told so many times, we've been told so many times in our musical career, oh, you know how lucky you have to be? You know what the chances are? And I'm like, you know, for someone who opens a restaurant, the failure rate in a, for a business owner is like in the 90th percentile in their first five years. And they've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars into their product, their brand, their stock, their food, their supply chain. I'm not even investing that much. I'm just saying I want to be in a band. And there's no way that those same people who claim that it's luck, you're not going to tell me that if they were sitting in front of David Lee Roth or, or, or Steven Tyler or Sebastian Bach or any of these guys that they would have the balls to tell them, you got lucky. Because all of those musicians would sit in front of them and laugh. They would say, you know how many empty bars I had to play? Do you know how many shitty shows you know how much money i have stolen from me you know how many nights where i didn't eat i didn't sleep that i was kneeling down in a shower crying because i didn't know if this was right for my life if i was making the right decision or if i would just be some 60 year old washed up musician but something drove me to keep going it was it's not luck that got me to where i am it's the fact that i denied that fear the ability to win and i kept going so Without this becoming, you know, like an over-the-top Tony Robbins speech, because I don't mean that. All I mean is, fuck all that side noise, throw all those side conversations. If you love something and music is what you love, and it just so happens to be hard rock or metal, fuck all the noise, throw all the side conversations, go for it, don't stop, keep going, break down walls, bash through fucking obstacles and barriers, and you're, you're going to win. You're going to make momentum, and you're going to gain ground. That's what you got to do. How did you get connected with Michael Badio? Our record label. I remember the days when he, when he was Michelangelo. Yeah, you know, I, I remember, you know, it's funny because 
I, I was just uh, me and me and Bader were just texting each other back and forth not too long ago because we we chat from time to time. Every venue I go to, he's got a signature on the wall. <laughs> so me and him have a thing where when I go to the venue, I take a picture of it and I send it to him, and he tries to guess the venue that I'm at. That's awesome. Oh, it's like a little game that we play. But anyways, um, yeah, uh, the people at our record label, um, we were looking to do some cover songs in between, you know, album two and album three. And just to kind of bridge that gap a little bit and give fans something interesting to listen to, we reached out to our record label and we said, hey, man, who are some musicians that, you know, some, some names that you could throw away, some, some people that, you know, a lot of other people would know, some interesting features. And they said, what do you think of Michael Badio? And I go, wait, what? And they're like, yeah, what do you think of Michael Badio? And I said, uh, yeah, absolutely. So we were put in touch with them. Um, we were communicating via email. And I said, hey, man, what do you think of doing like a cool heavy metal version of Foxy Lady? And he said, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm down 100%. So he came down to Erico Studio here in Chicago. And, um, <laughs> you know, he drove up brought all this stuff out. Um, we recorded him, and he uh, he kicked ass. I remember his band Holland from way back in the day, in the mid-'80s, yeah. and they were such a great band local to the scene in Chicago. They had a mild hit with the song Wake Up the Neighborhood. Um, I, think the, I think the album was Little Monsters, which I think is almost impossible to find now. But... Um, just a huge influence here on, in Chicago that, you know, they used to play like the thirsty whale and the gateway theater and, um, you know, some of those old school places that were around back in the day. And when I was on your website and I saw Michael Bayo, I immediately went back to that, you know, 10 year old, 11 year old kid living in, listening to this radio station called WVVX that would come on at like eight o'clock at night and hearing wake up the neighborhood by Holland and I'm like, oh, wow, that's so cool that he recorded with them. Yeah, I remember, uh, and I told uh, Badio this, um, it's funny, I go, dude, I remember seeing Nitro, um, the music video when I was in high school for Freight Train. And I remember not even thinking it was real. I go, what the hell <laughs> is going on? And I told him this when I met him. I go, dude, I remember watching you on YouTube when I was like 15 and the, the, the amount of players that you've influenced is just insane. And then for you to be playing with another generation of players that you've influenced, I was like, it's just surreal to, to be here with you. And he was just like, yeah, man, during the eighties, we just wanted to be big, everything, fast guitar, biggest air, biggest, you know, everything, uh, you know, the biggest, name biggest aura everything you can imagine i'm like well rich and accomplished man because you know 20 something years later you're you're here recording a, a single with me so um kind of had to pinch myself on that one that was very cool so what is the future for erico i know we're, we're wrapping up 2019 here in a couple of months what does 2020 look like for you guys so we are going into the uh pre-production phases for album three 2020, uh, I'm sorry, 2019 will unfortunately probably not be any new music in 2019. I'm sorry, 2020. I'm in the wrong year here, man. Uh, 2020 will just be pure touring. We're just going to purely be doing shows and recording the new album. Um, we, we all work, you know, we all work day jobs. So we split our time between work and day jobs, touring with music and recording. So just to give us more time to kind of up the, the game up the quality up the ante of as far as the quality of our album we're going to be spending the rest of this year and a lot of 2020 really recording some great songs touring and you know preparing for our next release album three when are you guys going to start touring in 2020 right after the first of the year or is there a certain date that you guys are going to start yeah so we're probably going to wind up starting um you know, winter is kind of hibernation for us as it is almost for every kind of, kind of goes to sleep at that point. Uh, but we'll be back at, uh, right around February, February or March, all the way to the end of uh, 2020, and then preparing to uh, release, hopefully sometime beginning of 2021 with new stuff. 
I'm looking forward to it. I know a lot of your fans are looking forward to it. Like I said, my son follows you guys on Instagram. He's a huge fan. Just was, I mean, when he saw you guys with Diamond Head, you know, I, I come from that Diamond Head generation, and I really enjoyed you guys. And we're driving back. He's like, that band Erico was really awesome, Dad. They were really cool. So that's, you know, for to connect with kids these days, 13, 14 years old, is huge because they're so distracted. They're so you know, with, with social media, they're so preoccupied with things. And one of the things I think is positive, I always use him as a gauge as to what's coming up. And when I see him and his friends wearing rock t-shirts, I know it's coming back because the kids are starting to listen to it. You know? For sure. Absolutely. And you know what? It's funny that you said that because, um, for the longest time we had fans that were more, of the diamond head generation. They were more of the old school Metallica generation and Testament and, um, Van Halen. That was more the generation. And now it's interesting because we're getting more and more people that are asking us to play more and more underage shows. We typically play at venues where there's a bar, there's a liquor license at stake. So it's difficult to get kids in the door. You know, there's a lot going on there, but we're sitting back going, man, we need to, we need to figure out what, we're going to wind up doing we just played in the suburbs had an insane turnout at the show that we played here up on the northwest side and that's kind of becoming commonplace where we tour but we're getting more and more of a reaction of hey when are you gonna when are you gonna play a show where you know the kids can come because they want to come and see it or when are you gonna play a show where you know kids that are you know under 18 or under 21 can come it's a whole new issue for us because like I said, we, we've been, a lot of the people that have been attracted to the music are people that have been attracted to, to old school. And there's typically people that can come out, they can drink, they can uh, do that stuff. So now to get requests from kids that are just 10, 15 years younger than me going, dude, I want to come out to your shows. What the hell's going on? I'm going, this is pretty, <laughs> this is pretty interesting. This is pretty cool. So I'm really glad he likes it. I'm, I'm, honored that you like it because you've got great taste in music so the fact that we appreciated you with, with you and the, and the young one is a lot man well that's kind of become one of the bonds that I've had with my son is music you know I mean I remember his first show I took him to we drove all the way to I think it was Newport Kentucky to see Butch Walker oh wow and because it what was uh, Butch Walker who's singer songwriter okay who's got really good stuff. He used yep. to be in a band called Marvelous 3 and South Gang, and now he does got his own solo stuff. He's a big, huge, gigantic producer in the music industry, but he does his solo stuff yeah. too. And my son really connected with one of his albums when he was like five. He like listened to one of his records all the time. So I'm looking at the tour dates, and I'm like, oh, I can't take him to Chicago because it's an over 18 or whatever. And I'm like, but on Saturday, there's a show in Kentucky. Let's load up the car, do the four-and-a-half-hour drive, and let's go see him. You know, he's loved music ever since, and you know, I've taken him to see Diamond Head, obviously, and Metallica, Iron Maiden, a lot of other bands. He's a big, big, huge fan of Rival Sons and Tyler Bryant. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love connecting with him. I love seeing his reaction to things, and, you know, at least it's pleasant for me when he's listening to rock and roll in his room instead of other forms of music, you know? <laughs> That's, man, I, I, I got to give you a pat on the back because, you know, not not all parents are like that. I know what it's like to have, you know, a, a parent that's kind of an absentee and that isn't really there. And I know what it's like to have the other side of the spectrum too. We have a dad that um, uses music as much as he can to to, comp and, to compensate for that and to fill uh, a possible void that's there. And it did it for me. So the fact that you're going above and beyond to share that music and share that experience and, and connect with them um, is huge. It did. Uh, a lot in my life. My dad has, has had some, some health issues as of lately. And when all this stuff happened, um, all that shit comes back. All that, all those musical experiences come back. Just the time that I got to spend with my dad playing music with them and, you know, fucking just sitting there playing Jimmy three steps four times a day. Leonard Skinner for sitting there playing honky tonk woman when I was miserable playing it because I'm like man I, dude I want to play war ensemble what is this man I want to do this but having that uh, as a grown man now where you know 
I'm I'm married. I'm I'm out and about, and you know I'm doing my own thing as a man, and, and looking at my dad going, dude, the, the music that we shared, the memories that we have, we can look at each other now as two men and shake our heads, heads and go, man, we we share something, we we share a bond with each other that nobody can fuck with, and it is purely and entirely because of music. So the fact that you have that uh, with your son, my, my hat is. 100 off you, sir. Well, thank you. You know, music has the power to break down barriers. It has the power to connect people from different backgrounds, from different you know points of view. It really is a way to heal. I've often used music myself when I'm going through you know a, a troubled time or a difficult time. Music is kind of like the drug. It's kind of like the medicine to help you get through things. And what's really cool now is how. My son, who's 14, is telling me, hey, you should check out this band. You should listen to this band. This guy's are really good. And I'm, you know, I'm like, wow, this is really good. You know, so he's developing a really good ear for good stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. So, you know, it's a way for me to get, you know, stay connected with new music. Because let's face it, a lot of people my age, you know, in our mid-40s are not as open to new music as they should be. And, you know, I've, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast with different discussions and how, you know, you get the pushback from a lot of people who say, oh, new, you know, new rock sucks and new this. You know, no, it doesn't. You've got to open yourself up to listen to it because. New rock doesn't suck, man. You're, it, my response to that is you're just looking in the wrong places. Yep. Yep. You know. Because there's, there's new music everywhere. There is a plethora of new music. You just got to look in the right spots. If you're listening to the top 40. And hey, there's nothing wrong with that. If you like it, like I said, I, I listen to pop music all the time. But if you're sitting there listening to the top 40 going, oh man, new new rock sucks. But you're using the radio to gauge new rock. You ain't in the right spot, man. You're yeah. really ain't in the new spot. You got to join the forums. You got to hop on streaming. You got to hop on YouTube. You got to hop on the internet. You got to go to local shows. <laughs> got to go to look, look up the local music scene. Look up the small music uh, venues, the small bar. Look up the subterranean. Look up the elbow rooms. I know some people who, some of your listeners who are out of Chicago might not know, but you get it. Look up the venues. They have a maximum size. You know, if you're above 250 occupants, you're at a fire hazard. Look up those venues. Go to those shows of bands that are coming in, and then you could really see the new, the new up-and-comers of, of rock and roll and see what kind of really good shit is out there. So like I said, it wasn't me earlier um, kind of uh, uh, breaking down new music like, ah, nobody solos anymore. Ah, nobody does this anymore. I use nobody in terms of what is popular right now. What is right. um, consistently on the radio. It's an algorithm. It's a lot of the same stuff. And that's cool. That's what they're going for. Those bands, that's what they wanted. They went out, they hired a producer, they paid that producer a certain amount of money in cash, they paid that producer a certain amount of money in retail off the back end, and they said, hey, we want to break this band down to a, a, a top 40 band. We want to have a top 40 hit. And that producer said, all right, this is what you need to do. What is popular in a top 40 right now is ABC. That's what we got to do, and we got to incorporate your guys' little little you know uh seasoning on top of that that's what they do and that's okay but if that's what someone's looking to gauge if rock is good or not right now get away from that stuff go to the local music venues hop on social media hop on youtube look up local bands look up uh, you know what i do to look at to, to discover new music and a lot of the connections i've made i've actually looked at the flyers to like rock usa rock Oklahoma, rock fest Lollapalooza, um, Coachella. And you know what? I'll go all the way to the bottom of the flyer. I do the same thing. And I'm, one by one, I will slowly but surely, some very good musical friends of mine, a band you should look up, a band called Solidify, down in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Fucking awesome band. I found them because we uh, submitted to play for Rocklahoma. We didn't get selected. They got selected a couple of years back. And I sent them a congratulations email saying, Hey man, we were one of the bands that submitted. We didn't get, cho we didn't get chosen you guys, but it made me look your guys' band up. And I just want to say, I love what you guys do. Now guess what? 
we've played probably about three or four shows with those guys, and I love them. That's what I'm saying about building connections. That's what I'm saying about looking up new music, finding stuff that's fresh, because you know what? Rock is dead, man. Rock is more alive than it's ever been. I 100% agree. We're going to have to end there, Ace. I do appreciate you coming on. Once again, Ace, the lead vocalist, Cole, lead guitar player from the band Erico. If you like straight-ahead rock and roll, modern, modern, straight-ahead metal, you're going to like it in the vein of like an Armored Saint, Metal Church, Halloween, Dokken. Hey, man, I really appreciate you. I appreciate your listeners. Like you said, if you want to give your earbuds a punch in the face, give us a listen, support local music. Jay, thanks very much, man. I had a I had a great fucking time. Well, thank you. Once again, this is Jay Scott, and you're listening to The Hook, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone has a great night, and we will chat again soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.